a special friend of ours, of mine, is Raul, who teaches at Pella Christian. He's from Mexico. And I thought, how cool on Tulip Time weekend if a brother from another country would lead us in prayer with his native language. Raul, would you lead us in prayer? Padre Santo, Tú eres bueno en todos Tus caminos. Tu luz resplandece en medio de toda oscuridad. Permite que cada uno de los que estamos aquí día a día seamos conscientes de que es Tu Espíritu Santo quien nos guía, es Tu Espíritu Santo quien nos da las fuerzas, Padre. Así como cuando Tú resucitaste y dejaste a Tu Espíritu a los discípulos, Señor, a Tus apóstoles, ese mismo Espíritu el día de hoy está con nosotros para darnos fuerza, para liderarnos, Señor para darnos el coraje de salir y predicar tu evangelio, de llevarlo a las naciones, Señor. Permite que toda la gente que no te conoce pueda ver a través de nuestro rostro que tú eres Dios, que tú eres Rey y que tú vives por siempre, Señor. Que tú eres un Dios amoroso, un Padre que tienes cabida para todo huérfano, Señor. Que tú abres tus brazos, Señor, para gente que aún se siente fuera, que se siente en otro lugar. Tú eres el mismo Dios aquí en Estados Unidos, en México, en cualquier otra parte del mundo, Señor. El mismo Dios, el mismo Padre, por siempre, Señor, con nosotros. En el nombre de Jesús. Amén. Now the Lord's Prayer together in English. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, Raul. Won't it be amazing someday when the new heaven and new earth is established, and every people group is present, everyone speaking their own native tongue? And somehow we're all connected in the Spirit. Won't that just be the coolest thing ever? Just, just a secret to the Reformed people. We won't be the only ones there. <laughs> that was a joke. Never mind. Not very good. Can I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue our reading and working through the, the, uh, the story of the early church. If you remember on um, Easter Sunday, I used the phrase uh, from John chapter 20, to turn to Jesus. Mary heard him say her voice, Jesus said her voice, and she turned. So the past Sundays, I've been asking people to tell me stories of when they heard the voice of the Lord. I have some more. So this happened Friday night. If you remember last week, I invited us as a, as a congregation to welcome all our guests to Pella. Uh, this is with permission. A young family of several children was on Friday night going from the parade. There was a young couple from another community here, and they couldn't find their car, and they were a bit uh, disoriented. So the members of our church led them to their car, and then one of the two young children had a medical emergency. And so the husband from our church asked this couple, could we pray over you while his wife called 911? So the first responders came, attended to the child, and then brought the family to the hospital. Along with them came the family from our church. And felt a nudging to go along, and things seemed to be okay, and then 
they left and went home. And when they got home, the, the husband from our church said to his wife, I wonder if Third has any resources that could help this family. And then he heard a voice. You are the resource. You are Third's resource. So he went back to the hospital and spent time with a family he did not know and loved and welcomed them. Isn't that a beautiful story? But he heard a voice that said, you're the resource. How about this one? Someone who was battling significant depression was sitting by the lake, battling deep, deep darkness, and heard a voice say the name. Everything is going to be okay with you. I have great plans for you. And the person writes, my life has not been the same since that voice in that moment. And then last week, Sunday after the 915 service, someone came down to see me. Ten years ago, uh, her daughter was killed in a traffic accident. A loaded cement truck hit the car head-on and killed their daughter instantly. And we had talked about losing children. And she said, I have a story for you. I said, okay. And November 3rd, she was being operated on for breast cancer. And as she waited in a dark room to be operated on, all of a sudden the light came into the room. There was a presence next to her, a long robe, and she sensed it was the presence of Jesus. And she said, I received a sense of his presence and peace that was so great that was connected to the loss of our daughter and the loss of my breast. The peace of Christ came in that moment. And then I have one other one, and this ties to where we're going to go, because we're going to talk about spiritual warfare this morning. I want to tell you a story about how powerful the battle is, and then we're going to look at it in Acts 16. A young couple, and I need, I need to be really careful. Um, you probably know this, but uh, large churches are trolled by especially foreign governments to hear if we are sending missionaries to their country. So I have to hide this in case we're being trolled, because we have been. Um, somebody connected to us, a young couple went to another country and have been very effective in, in their mission work. Learned the language, very, very beautiful mission work. Incredible, people coming to Christ. And then, and then, um, the wife has gone into a suicidal place of a dark depression. And the husband is so ill that in the next two days there is a strong possibility that he's going to die. And the context is this is a very effective young couple who is bringing the goodness of Jesus to another place. And the counterattack is great. And who knows what the results will be. Well, I tell you that because that's in our story this morning. Acts chapter 16 beginning at verse 6, and we'll start with a map in a second, and I want you to remind you of the places that we are going. So I read this last week, and we read it again, Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So can I have the map, please? So if you look up there, plan A was to go to Asia. They were kept by the Spirit from preaching the word of God. So they're in Antioch. And he wanted to go to the left, to the west, and south. And plan A, Asia, was no. The text goes on. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. Bithynia is north. So they came to the province of Asia, 
of Myasia, sorry, yeah, Mysia, and wanted to go north to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Plan B, Bithynia, no. Verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we get ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So if you look up at the map, plan A, Asia, no. Plan B, Bithynia, no. Not going backwards, not going east. End up going to Troas, and now they go over to Philippi. And what you're going to see happen next is an amazing story filled with spiritual encounters. Verse 11, from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went out to Minneapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Let me explain that to you. Why do they expect to find a place of prayer? Okay, for, for the Jewish people, remember, remember Paul's strategy. So he would go to synagogues first because there would be the Jewish people with whom he could share the gospel. But more than that, he was hoping there would be God-fearers, Gentiles, who could be open to receiving the good news about Jesus. So they would go to the synagogue. But for a synagogue to be formed, there had to be 10 men. So obviously in Philippi, there were not 10 men. So where would the Jewish people go to worship? They would go wherever there was water. And the reason why, they used ceremonial cleansing as part of worship. So for example, when a woman had her period, the next week she was asked to wash, to be clean. If men worked with things and they were unclean kinds of things with their hands, they needed to wash. Because in the presence of God, they were to be clean and holy. So using a mikvah, clean water, was part of worship. There was no synagogue, so they went to the place of prayer. They went to water. Now that's going to become important because this is going to come back several times. So the next verse, uh, let's see, verse, um, second part of verse 16. We're going to a place of prayer. We were met. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm too far ahead. I jumped down there a ways. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. We expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Now look at this. The Lord Jesus opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She and her household. Next verse, verse 16. Once we were going to a place of prayer, there it is again, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, the English translation is not very good. So let me give it to you in Greek. A python spirit. So let me tell you about this girl. This young woman had the ability to connect with the occult. She connected with demonic power. And because of demonic power, she could predict the future. Now, a woman who did this was called an oracle. O-R-A-C-L-E. And the most famous of all was a woman who was given over to Apollos. Apollos supposedly killed the python spirit, a demon. And then this young woman became, not this one in the text, a young woman became available to Apollos' power from killing python. So what this woman would do in a great big temple, they would dig a hole under the ground 
And once a month, on the seventh day of the month, she would go down under the temple, under the ground, and then they would burn incense to Apollos with a python spirit. The python spirit would come to her and tell her the future. She would sit in a tripod and allow the demonic power to come over her to give her words. She'd come out and then she would prophesy. And she was so well known and so famous, they paid her enormous amounts of money. Well, this young slave girl has the same spirit, a python spirit. So now you see something interesting. What's just happened in the five verses before? What's just happened? A church has been formed. People have come to faith in Jesus. The kingdom has come. What happens immediately afterwards? Let's look what happens. Here's a girl with a python spirit. She earned a great deal of money for her, her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, and the word is actually shrieking, screaming over and over. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Paul, Paul became so agitated, the word here is annoyed, agitated, deeply disturbed. He turned and said to her, said to the spirit, the python spirit, the name, a python spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the python spirit left her. Now, what's happening here? She is shouting a phrase. Now, why was that so disturbing to Paul? Because that was a phrase used by all kinds of people there. It was about all kinds of gods. And all, there's all kinds of ways to be saved. And he's trying to talk about Jesus. And this python spirit is trying to confuse people. And he puts up for it. But she's shrieking. She's yelling. And oh, finally, he is so disturbed, he just turns to her and says, in the name of Jesus. Now, now stop, stop for a second. Do you remember in the first seven, seven chapters how often we found that phrase? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now, let me tell you a story. True story. In the last several weeks, over some period of time, I've had people come to see me, to talk to me, because they have approached mediums. Do you know what a medium is? What's a medium? Someone who listens to occult spirits and tells you stuff. So people that I know have been going to see mediums to talk to the spirits because they want to connect with family members who have died. This is in Pella, Iowa. And I'm telling you that because occult power is here. A few years ago at the 11 o'clock service in the back row from another community were seven witches who came to service every week. And they came to cast, cast her curses, hexes, or spells on us. We'd minister with them, we'd care for them, and we'd pray for them. And whenever they would leave, we would cleanse the back area, and we would break any sense of demonic power in the name of Jesus. Now, why am I telling you this? Because this is happening here. So when the kingdom of God comes, and people experience the goodness of Jesus, there is a counterattack. So what happens? Verse 19, so Paul cast the demon out. 
When her owners realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into a marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates. In a city like Philippi, there'd be two magistrates and said, took them three charges. First is anti-Semitism. These men are Jews, and they almost spat it out. They hate Jews, anti-Semitic. They are throwing our city into an uproar. That's the difficult thing. If Rome thought a city was being rebellious, Rome would come in and destroy the city, and they would kill the rulers. And third, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept. It's unlawful illegal activities. These are the three false charges. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Oh, can I have that? Can I have that? This is what a rod looked like in that day. Now let's add some pieces of metal or bone on the end. And let's start. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 11? Three times, I've been beaten with rods. But that's not all that happens. Look what happens next. After they were beaten with rods, they were severely flogged. Remember flogged? Take off all their clothes, tie them here, and trained guys would take whips with stones, with metal, with glass, and they would whip them not to kill them, but so their entrails would begin to fall out of their body. So, now remember the story, what's going on here. They come, go to Asia, plan A, no. Go to Bithynia, plan B, no. Go to Macedonia, why? Because there's a woman named Lydia who and her household become believers. There's a young girl coming behind, screaming, 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 cast out the demon. And what happens? There's a counterattack. Do you see this? The gospel comes, counterattack. Gospel comes, counterattack. Well, look what happens next. What happens to these guys? The crowd joined. They were severely flogged. They were thrown to prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Can you imagine that now? Your entrails are falling out. You've been beaten with rods. You're sitting on the ground with your feet in stocks. Let me just ask you, like a, so how would you be feeling then? What's the text say? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, here's another attack back against the demonic power. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake and the foundation of the prisons, foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains loose, came loose. The jailer woke up and he saw the prison door open. He withdrew his sword to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. If they would escape, he had to be killed. He, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. He washed their wounds in the same water they were baptized. The jailer brought them to his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates, the two leaders, sent their officers, there were two, to the jailer with an order, release those men. 
The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported, that the mag- reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them, escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. Who were the brothers and sisters? It was Lydia and her household. It was the demon-possessed girl who was free. It was Dr. Luke, because that was his hometown. And it was the jailer in his household. Do you understand what Acts 16 is about? It's about the kingdom of God coming into a new place. And the kingdom comes with presence and power of Jesus. And people get saved and changed. And there is a pushback. And the pushback is brutal. And there's a spiritual attack by the Lord back against evil. And then it comes back and back and forth. Now back to your map again, please. So here you are. You're here today because of this story in Acts 16. Now I'm going to talk about spiritual battle today. And I'd like to to try to do it without scaring you. But at the same time, I'm going to be very honest. Next slide. Can I have the slide with the... um, give Give me four, please. Okay, this is, what I want you to, this is what I want you to see today. Power encounters. This is when the presence and power of God comes in direct contact with the presence and power of the devil. And when these power encounters happen, the spiritual atmosphere of a region changes. There is often a ripple effect of people being freed. Can I go to, can I have slide six? So, I'm going to unpack this more in coming weeks. So let, let me, let me, everybody look at here. When we cast out demons around here, and I've been casting out demons for 37 years, generally, it's not very difficult. Generally, it's quite easy because I would argue there are ranks of demonic spirits. Most of the demons that we wrestle with are low, low ranking, easy to cast out. But the book of Ephesians says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And a lot of people, scholars suggest there are levels of demonic power. What we're talking about now, up on the screen, are massive territorial spirits. So every time the gospel, Acts 1-8 mandate, is going to move into a new region and wants to affect all kinds of people, there is a massive counterattack. The gospel of Jesus comes to set people free and give new life. And there is almost always an immediate attack. So in the stories, you have Simon Magus, you have that in, in Samaria. You have Elam, can I have the map, please, again? So Samaria is now going to the people that they hate just north of Jerusalem. Okay, Cyprus, this is going to be, remember, the launch pad in missionary journey number one. From Cyprus, they're going to go all the way over and they're going to start traveling up toward, through Ephesus, through that way, and then they go right. So the next one, this week, this week we, have, we have chapter 16. We have, the, we have the python spirit. 
In a few weeks, we're going to have Diana of the Ephesians. Look at the spaces. You have Samaria, which is not located. Then you have the next couple of weeks, you're going to have Philippi, and you're going to have Ephesus. Why, why is this significant? Because these are gateways, entryways to affect the world of that day. These are massive, major cities. So I would argue St. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is strategic. He wants to go to places where what Jesus said in Acts 1-8 would happen. But every time they go into a space to bring the gospel, remember now, how they brought the gospel, they said it and they did it. You just see it over and over in Luke's teachings. Why is that important? Because those who do not believe, oh, on slide five, how about this? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Purpose clause, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Unbelieving people are blinded. So why does Dr. Luke so often have these power encounters? Blind people see the kingdom of God, and it opens their eyes just a little bit so that the gospel can be presented. Jesus lived, died, and rose. There is hope. He is victorious. He is the Lord. But almost always there is a power encounter and a counterattack and a power encounter which then creates space for the gospel. Does this make sense? So what I'm trying to say to you, can I have slide number uh, six again? If you think about this, well, let me ask a question. So if you look out at our country, if you look out at the world, where do you see massive territorial spirits affecting regions? I want to answer, I'll leave that with you. You think about that. So I gave the story of the missionary couple. Are you familiar with what's called the 1040 window? On your map, go to 1040 latitude and longitude. At the 1040 window is the place where the most unreached people in the world are located. These two young people have learned a specific language, have been sharing the gospel, and people coming to faith in this place. And the government is trying to kill them. So because the government is trying to kill them, who's behind that? They left and went to another country where many people from this country have immigrated. They know the language. The young couple from our church know the language. They're sharing the gospel. And now she is in a massive depression and can't function. And he might die of a mysterious illness that came on last week. The Bible says, we wrestle not with flesh and Whether you want to admit it or not, biblically speaking, you have a bullseye on your chest if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. You have an enemy who wants to kill, accuse, and destroy. And your enemy is relentless in destroying lives, relationships, and households.
So this week, when I interacted these last several weeks with people who are involved with occultic power, I asked people to pray me off yesterday. To be prayed off is to pray things like, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on Kevin. May the light of Christ, the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, the mercy of Christ, wash away any attachments of any kind that have been sent by the enemy. If any curses, hexes, or spells have been placed against Kevin, we break them now in the name of Jesus. You are in a spiritual battle. So the young couple I referenced from another place, grandma was at the first service. She said, what do I do? Well, I gave her what I have. If you stop me, I guarantee I'll have this. Every, every notebook, every car, every office, every space in my wallet is this. The prayer to be set free from demonic power and the prayer for protection from demonic power. The gospel is coming to set people free. Remember the story at Easter? This great big elephant being chained by this big old chain. Because the elephant's mind says, you're ever, ever chained. Can I remind you what St. Paul wrote? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You're not meant to be enslaved by demonic power. What did they do? Now I need to go quickly. Uh, here's, so here's what I saw in slide eight, and I want to talk real fast. So there was two significant spiritual practices in our passage that are so important. The first is the centering and fellowship of weekly worship. Do you notice in the passage, Paul was always trying to find a synagogue or a place of prayer. Why? People say to me often, you don't need to be a Christian to go to worship. I agree, you don't have to. But what happens when we worship? If we worship well. See, it's happening right now. As the, the more we are together with the Lord, in the Lord, by the Spirit, as a community, as individuals, for a few moments, we center on the Lord. And that's why I worship. For a few moments, as despaired as we have been all week long, for a few moments... We gather together and we get re-centered. We get re-centered on our God. And for just a few moments, life becomes right side up. Jesus is king. He is the king of an unshakable kingdom. And his kingdom is never in trouble. That's your king. And for a few moments, we center together on our king. But the second thing I want you to notice is about prayer and praise. And Mike and, and team have been teaching us over and over about this. Let me give a personal example and then an invitation. I told you that on Christmas Eve, if you were here, after Kirk died, six months or so, seven months after Kirk died, I did not want to pray. I, didn't, I could not pray, and I did not want to praise. I was just broken and sad, confused. 
But it's been several months since Christmas. And I'm learning and I'm choosing to pray four times a day, set times, and sentence prayers all through the day. I'm choosing to pray. And I'm learning to praise. I'm learning to pray. Now think about the story. These guys have just been beat to shreds. They've been whipped to shreds. They're sitting in a jail where they could die. Are they doing what I did? Sat in my basement in the dark and cried? They prayed and they praised. And the atmosphere changed. And something happened. And an earthquake comes. And Jesus is again vindicated. He is the king. How about this one? Verse number seven. I love this. I've been reading this to myself all week long. If anyone or anything positions itself to block Acts 1-8 mandate, the risen King Jesus reserves the right to overthrow the rebellion. So he said to the two magistrates and the two officials, don't mess with my boys. But shake the world just a little bit. And out they come. What if in the midst of spiritual battle, the gifts we've been given, one is to gather and worship weekly. Just keep gathering somewhere in worship. Get centered again. And the second thing is learn and choose to pray and to praise. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we indeed could be these kinds of people willing to trust, willing to pray, choosing to praise, believing that you can do more than we ask or think or hope or imagine. So if you are facing a time of challenge right now, in the midst of whatever you're facing, could I invite you to just in the recess of your heart either pray or praise the Lord? The enemy hates it when we praise. Our enemy trembles when we pray. there's a particular way you need help or guidance, would you ask the Lord for that right now? Ask the risen Jesus to say your name and provide something that you need right now. And then a pastoral request. If you've opened yourself up to occultic or demonic power in any way this week, would you renounce it? Would you confess it? Would you give it to Jesus? Ask for the freedom that only he can give. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in our hearts, in our lives, on the earth, as it is in heaven. We pray this 
in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus.